Hello and welcome back to the Petter Hughes podcast. So in this episode, I'm joined by Chris Tibbetts and we talk everything from how he lost 100 kilo to how he was unable to wipe his ass when he was at his biggest, which was 34 stone and loads more. You're gonna absolutely love it. So listen, if you do enjoy this, please like the video, please subscribe to the channel, share the podcast on your story, enjoy. So, Chris Tibbetts, thank you very much for coming on the podcast, mate, how are you? I am very well, thank you. And how are you doing today? I'm good, I'm good. Thank you very much. Uh, the reason I wanted to get you on, I'm not even going to dance around it. How how the fuck did you manage to lose 100 kilo? I want to talk about this story. Shouldn't we ask the question, how the fuck did I manage to put 100 kilos on? That, that was my <laughs> next question, yeah. <laughs> um, well, actually, I've, I think I've worked out over my lifetime, right, this is quite a scary bit, I've probably lost about 700 kilos. This is from like losing and gaining and losing yeah. and gaining. Yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah, over my lifetime, yeah, I've probably lost about 700 kilos, which means that I've put that amount on as well. <laughs> that's that's which, insane. Which, when you equate that to calories, is a humongous amount of additional calories I get throughout my life. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually curious about that. When it was at a stage, obviously, if, if you don't mind me asking, when you were like at your biggest, what was like a what, what was the meal? Like, did you, did you actually eat a lot or was it sedentary or? Uh, no, I probably just ate a lot. Just portion sizes were just big and I just had a, I had an eating disorder. I had a, well, I'd been eating, but I had overeating. So basically, I just over ate. So I was never full. Yeah. Nothing would ever, you know, if I did eat, then I'd stop and I'd eat again. You know, so, you know, most people just have a sandwich, but I would have had like four, well, six slices of bread. People have two slices of bread. I'd have six, you know, sandwich made of six slices of bread. So that would be normal, you know, one, you might have one packet of crisps. I would have three packets of crisps. Um, most people have a bowl of cornflakes, whereas I would have more like a bucket of cornflakes. <laughs> you know, so uh, most people would go and have McDonald's. I would have three. In fact, we'll come to McDonald's because there's a very funny story about oh, it's not funny, but it is a funny story about McDonald's. So, yeah. Um, what's your record for double? What's your record for double cheeseburgers? Double cheeseburgers. Oh, I'm actually. I, I, I don't even know, man. I don't know. I don't think I've ever. I think I've never had McDonald's sober since I was about fourteen, to be honest. With you. Oh yeah. Yeah. So um, basically, I was out with some friends of mine, and we were just eating them. Um, I had a bit of a laugh and a joke. Uh, I got to nineteen double cheeseburgers. I went to order the twentieth. The manager kicked us out. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So it was like a he game says, says, can you guys leave? I went, well, I was just, you're upsetting my other customers. I what? He says, well, you just, it's like all these cheeseburgers. What's going on? It's like, so he keeps that. So he keeps that McDonald's. So I didn't get to 20, so I wouldn't know, but yeah. It was, um, oh, there's still time yet. Like we're going to be in Manchester together in a few weeks. So we'll hopefully get to the lucky number 20 together. <laughs> <laughs> just walk in and order. Can I have 20 double cheeseburgers? Please see their face. Really quite entertaining, but um, but yeah, so um, yeah, just it was just became I just it was my comfort, it was my you know, um, my suit of armor to be honest. And food, food, I said to a lot of people I coach, I said, food is the only thing in my life that's never ever let me down. Mm-hmm. I've heard, I've heard yeah. that before, not even just from you, like, yeah. and I think that's what people overlook when it comes, especially when it comes to obesity and stuff, it's never just overeating, like, is it? It's that connection. It's that connection with the fact that, you know, it's always it's always a friend, never gonna let me down. No matter you know how abusive my relationship I was with my first wife, 
how stressful work was or anything else. It was just, you know, I could always turn to it. Never let me down. It was great. It was, it was my friend um, and helped me uh, help. But in effect, it wasn't actually helping me. It was causing yeah. me no end of other problems. But, um, but, but like most addictions, when you see it at the time, um, you don't see it as that problem. You don't see it as that challenge. It's, it's, you know, it's there soothing you. It's there, it's helping you. It's there supporting you. So, exactly, man. Exactly. Yes. And what were you like? So, then? Were you always like heavier as like a child and stuff, or what? I, I'd love to get into like uh, how how you actually gained weight in the first place, because that's that's a story I've never heard. Uh, so, no, as a child, well, to be honest, I was born prematurely, um, oh. and the consultant said to my mother that, um, well, if he sees her the first month, then. Yeah, that'll be good. And if he does survive, he'll always be small. He'll always be a run. He'll always struggle. Um, and then at 11, when I hit five foot 11, uh, my mum's, and I was eating my mum out of house and home, even though I was quite slim, she says, I think I'm going to find that consultant and take you doing and he can start paying your food bills. <laughs> so, you know, um, but my sort of challenge and connection with food came from I mean, about nine years old. My brother was in a, a school minibus accident and he was paralyzed from the neck down. And almost overnight, my life changed. Um, my parents' focus was looking after my brother, which is understandable. And I myself was then, probably, I wouldn't say passed from pillar to post, but I was some friends of our, friends of my brother's took me in, I stayed with them and she was a lovely woman and she looked after me and she, you know, her, her outlet for care was food. Yes. You know, so if I was upset, there'd be food. If I was happy, you know, every, every event was met with by food in a really positive and supportive way. And I loved the woman and she was the most wonderful woman. Uh, she got me through a really difficult time, but that connection then has been sort of hardwired in my brain that, if I'm happy, food. If I'm sad, food. If I need comfort, food. You know, <clears throat> off my early age, and that sort of progressed through my childhood, through my sort of um, early sort of teenage years. That the only way, because my mum and dad were focused with looking after my brother, which I have no challenge. You know, that's what they had to do. Um, mm-hmm. For me to get connection, I got connection at the chip shop because the woman there was lovely and she always looked after me, and I saw her every day. So, food. At the bakery, I'd go and talk in the bakery and, and food. So the connection was always with food places. And I was always met with friendship and love and, and connection at those places. Yeah. So throughout my life, that sort of was there. And then through my teenage years, I was busy. I was active. Um, at high school, I played in every single summer sport, winter sport. Um, got to um, represent my county, my region, got trials for uh, under 18 for Wales in rugby. So I was always active. Um, mm. But the problem came that took me out the most was I got injured in a um, probables versus possibles game for Wales and it did my knee in. And I was at 17 at that point. So I was, I was so active to then stop. So I was burning off all the food. I could have had anything and I would never put any weight on. Yeah. And I was in the gym and I was building weights and I was all of those things. So it was great, you know, so, but then to have that injury and I'm having taken away from you, 
I didn't. And of course, at 17, I found drink. So there was drink, there was food, still eating. And I was in a quite a dark place because my knee had been injured, my sort of career was over, you know, everything was ruined. And guess what? My friend turned up, didn't it? Food. Yeah. Um, got over the knee injury, had an operation, but I could never sort of play to the level I was before. And I then probably had a bit of... If I look back and we're doing a therapy session, I dare. Um, it's, um, I'm, I rebelled against my mum and dad. I ran away, went to go work in a hotel, uh, and met this woman um, who then became my wife. Um, but again, entered that relationship with her, and that was all around also control and food was used in control. And the worst thing you can ever do if you an overeater is go and work in a hotel, live in with free food. Mm-hmm. Because breakfast is what's left from the buffet. So cook breakfast. Then you'd have lunch provided. Then you'd have dinner provided. Yeah, it's the worst possible place you could go and be because it's food. (laughs) It's like you're surrounded by it. But again, didn't notice it. Put a bit of weight on. Continue to put weight on. Um, and then the first time I sort of lost weight was my son was going to be born. So I thought, oh God, better do something. And I radically lost weight and. Uh, my go-to diet was um, cornflakes and tuna fish and mashed potato. Jesus fucking Christ, that sounds horrendous. <laughs> it, worked, huh? it worked. So basically, I would have a big bowl of cornflakes in the morning, then I'd have um, three tins of tuna and a big packet of instant mash from a main meal, and then I'd have a bowl of cornflakes at night. I mean, considering if I'm huge all of a sudden my calories are down to like 1500 a day and I'm probably just living when I'm big I'd be burning about 4000 just shifting my bulk around yeah. so of course I'm going to drop weight really quickly but mm-hmm. it's not sustainable you know and then guess what when you start going back to eating normal food what happens yeah blood straight back up yeah so I start putting weight back on so and that was just me for a period of time every time I had a child I lost weight um, well I need to be a healthy dad but then I couldn't keep it up um yeah, and as time went by, you know, my relationship got worse and worse and it went to my friend again. Food was my friend. Um, and the bigger I got, it became more of a protector, more of a consume, more of something that I couldn't be hurt by any words. By, nothing could hurt me when I, with, with my suit of body, my fat suit on. Yeah. And yeah. I always made the jokes. Nobody could hurt me. Nobody could make jokes about me that I didn't make myself. So, but I was always the big guy, always big and jolly. You know? Oh, he's he's a he's a top lad and he's great. And always have Tibbsy there because he'll he'll win us competitions at food at restaurants. He'll he'll always finish it off. And it's just you know it become became my persona. You know. Yeah. The, yeah. The I've, big lad. I spoke about this before. Being like obviously I came from like a bigger background as well. That's why I got yeah. the training. I didn't do half as well as you did, but the thing with me was I always thought about being like the fat friend, and that's what you say yourself. You know, you're the one who done the twenty cheeseburgers. You're the one who would do yeah. the challenges. They're the one who would, you know, they'd maybe poke fun at. So you're no stranger to diet, and you've done that. How many children do you have? How many times did you go through that? Three, three. So you actually did manage to successfully drop weight three times then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the what was the reason for putting it back on, or what what happened after that? Just because all I did was lose weight for losing weight's sake. I didn't actually address the fact that I've got emotional problems with food. Mm-hmm. I, I've never addressed it. The only time I started addressing it was four years ago. So even you know, even when we'll come to the story of, of hitting my heaviest at 34 stone, 
and been told I have six months to live. But I still wasn't powerful enough. I, I lost weight. But then, you know, I put weight back on. You know, I got married a second time, lost weight, put weight back on. You know, I would never, never go to the extremes of the size I was, but I would have fluctuated between probably... 80, I'd, I'd fluctuate between 18 stone and 24 stone. So that's what I'd fluctuate between. Mm-hmm. But I'd lose it, put it back on, lose it. But I used to have, God, I had, I had three wardrobes. I'd have a slim wardrobe. I'd have a, you can get a bit of weight on wardrobe and a, you, you're a fat bastard wardrobe. Um, and I'd have the three. Yeah. Um, and I'd just move between them. You know, oh, that was a bit tight. I'll just go and try these. They'll fit. So I never really like bothered. Yeah. And you said uh, there you, you fluctuated between eighteen and twenty-four stone. That's quite a buffer there. So you yeah. use every time you successfully lost weight, you're talking like the guts of six, seven, eight, nine stone. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. and how long would that take you to put that sort of weight back on? Because that that's like that's 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 huge, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, I never took long to put it back on. Um, but I don't know. Honestly, though, it's all sort of but it just it would be cyclical. You know, I do like six months. Yeah, in a year, I'd probably lose six stone and put six stone back on. Yeah, that's how crazy it'd be. I'd have a period, have a couple of months where I'm doing all right, and then I get comfortable, and then my old habits are slipping. You know, if you if you spoke, you know, if you spoke to my wife, my wife Carmen, and sorry, you know, she's like she'd notice I'd getting bigger, and I'd be going, she said, "What are you eating? Oh, nothing today, babe. I don't eat today." She go, "Really?" <laughs> you know, oh, okay. He's, he's getting bigger. What's going on? And I'll just kid myself, you know, oh, I need another day. Because in my head, you know, I'd get up, go to work, um, I'd have a Starbucks um, full fat caramel macchiato in the cinema swirl in the morning. Then I'd have my lunch. Then I'd have the one in the afternoon. Then I might have a drink on the way home. Or if not, I'd get some food on the way home. And then I'd get home and just, oh, it's, you know, I'm starving. Even though I've had all those calories throughout the day. You know, what's have for lunch? Oh, I had a meal deal at Tesco's. Just had a, just had a butty and a pack of crisps. I was okay. No, I didn't. I was like, I would have had everything, you know. Um, but yeah, so it's, it was, uh, and that's what I went through. And it wasn't until I sort of like um, 20, so 2011 is when I had the wake up call and I've hit my heaviest, which is 34 stone. And, you know, you go and see a doctor. When you step into the doctors, you break the scales, which is never a good sign. Um, now, did you ever used to watch Jeremy Kyle? Uh, yeah, I remember Jeremy Kyle, yeah. So I remember when they had the big people on, they had the, they had the special chairs for them, a bit wider. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do actually remember that. <laughs> yeah, so, so the first time I went into the doctors, he didn't have one there. The second time I went in, there was a wide chair in there for me to sit down. He was prepared for you. He was, uh, because I had to sit down, because he gave me mm. the news of, yeah, and, and I went in to see him, and um, he says, uh, "Yeah, he knew me from from playing rugby. He'd been the rugby doctor. He looked at me, and goes, you 'You're looking well, Tibbsy. I went, "Is that a euphemism for you know you put a bit of weight on then? Is it?" <laughs> and he says, "He says, 'No, you're looking well.'" Just, um, and I went in. I jumped. He said, "Jump on the scales." So I just do stepped on them, and they just bust. Yeah, the the dial went round, and then just stayed and never moved. I was like. And they were brand new and was like going. And they were they were up to 26 stone. And he went, hmm, right, got a bit of a problem there. So I had to go to the infirmary and they had um, a sit on set of scales where you sit on, they weigh you. Um, 
uh, and he said, and I'd had loads of blood tests and stuff done there. And he said, uh, come back in a week for the results. So came back in a week and he said, um, he sat me down, he said, uh, in the bigger chair, um, said, um, yeah, we've had the results back. He says, um, yeah, I was 39 at the time. He says, um, it's very unlikely you can see your 50th birthday if you don't make changes to your life. I'm thinking, well, that's 10 years. Oh yeah, that's 10 years. I'll be all right. I said, doctors always over, always drive with your man. He says, doc, I'm playing golf every day. I'm fit and health. He says, seriously, he says, you've got, you've got so many, so many challenges. He says, you, you're borderline diabetic, got high cholesterol, high blood pressure, all of these, you know, weight related challenges, but mm-hmm. we've got some more tests going to come back. He says, um, and they'll be ready in the 24 hours. He says, so can you come back in two days time? I went, yeah, of course I can doc. No problem. And I don't know about you, about doctor surgeries, but the receptionists, they're a special breed. Uh, special breed. I think we we'll that. Yeah. And I've got ultimate respect because they've got the very difficult job, but again, these were, but I walked in and um, so it was just, Oh yeah, Mr. Timmits. I'm, I mean, yes, doctor's waiting for you in consultation room. I think one it was, or zero, concert one on the ground floor. I'm thinking, right, one, she's never addressed me by my name when I walked in. Two, she's never been even spoken to me. Mm. And three, the doctor's never, ever been waiting for me. I've never walked in and the doctor's waiting for you. Yeah. And I've never been in the ground floor. Something's not good. So, so straight around for Kim. Yeah, this is good service. But then my back of my mind going, there's something up here. This is not normal. So I went to see him. Um, Morton says, look, sit down. I went, all right, doc. He said, uh, yeah, he says, um, listen, he says, I'm gonna, not going to sugarcoat it. He says, you got six months. He says, if you do not change things, you'll be dead in six months. He says, in fact, it's a miracle you're even walking in the streets now. He says, you should be dead. He said, so you need to change your life or you will be dead in six months. Forget 10 years. Yeah, you got the, you know, and I was like, right, okay. Um, right, I said, uh, I really appreciate your bedside manner, Doc. You know, just tell it as it is. He says, I'm going to have to. I've got to be blunt with you. He says, you know, you could die at any point. He said, you know, you, we t- I told you your markers were high on all of these things. He says, but your blood oxygen level's low. He says, you're not sleeping properly at night. You're probably stopping sleeping. You know, all the tests came back and went, you just, you know, you're in it. It's a miracle you're still alive. I was like, come on, okay, come on. He said, so I've got, he then went this whole list of things, this medication, all this stuff. I, need to do. I said, doc, doc, hold on. I says, I don't need, I don't want all this. I'm not going to be your lab rat. I'm not going to be tested for you. I just tell me what I need to do. He says, you need to lose some weight. You need to prove to me you can lose weight. He said, um, he said, he gave me some simple medication. He says, you need to take these, but I'll hold off on the others if you can lose weight. I was like, yeah, no problem. Because, of course, I had a tried and tested method, didn't I? Cornflakes. Yeah, cornflakes. <laughs> it worked. Yeah, it worked. Um, so I thought, right, okay, do this. And to be honest, mate, a month, um, got laser focused, got on it, um, started moving more, walking. Every- yeah, I played golf anyway, but I used to play golf, but nine times out of ten took the buggy so I stopped taking the buggy but I was playing golf every day so all of a sudden my step count went through the roof because I was like walking a golf course every day mm-hmm. rather than sitting in the buggy um, eating healthy make changes and, and I dropped oh, I can't remember I think the first first month I did 
like I was doing so yeah two stone in the first month so I was dropping seven pound a week Jesus that's, I was dropping that's a, a good pound a loss day. I was dropping a pound a day well think about this I worked it out right I was literally burning 4,000 calories being alive it's just your sheer size yeah yeah by sheer size you tie into that playing golf mm-hmm. then you know I was easily you know burning you know five and a half six thousand calories a day yeah just that's just all that's all doing that for yeah so so well i could have done in my old days um yeah um but yeah so and it worked i started losing weight it's great you know and he went back and says oh you're doing really well and then he said how are you doing it and i told him i was doing it he just looked at me and went you know that's not sustainable all right yeah, but you told me this way. So, yeah, he said. So we had a conversation. Look, it's working for you, but I need you to make these changes. So, put me in touch with nutritionists. Start thinking about exercise, all this stuff. And I think that was working well. Uh, I carried on losing weight, but then what was happening is I lost weight. My wife at the time, my first wife, you know, she had massive. We had a very toxic relationship towards the end, and it was causing immense problems. And I then realised that as I was got past Christmas and towards my fortieth birthday that the weight was coming off really well, that she, every time I went home from working away, she was sabotaging me. So I'd do well for the first four days a week, and then there'd be sabotage, there'd be reasons, there was triggers, there was stress, you know. And I just realized that the relationship wasn't going to be healthy. And if I was actually going to, I realized that she was a danger to me, and that if I stayed where I was, then I was going to slip up. And if I slipped up, there was not very there wasn't much places for me to go so i took really challenging decision i just left left my kids left her and i thought i need to i'm not going to die so i did so really you know drastic thing to do but did it um and i carried on losing weight and at that point then i sort of found a gym i got a personal trainer and you know, weight was coming off. It was doing really well. I did well. And I felt good. I met my second wife. And she moved to London, and things were going great. Mm. But then I got comfortable. I started putting some weight back on, and then I got married, so I dropped weight again. But I had a new method. Now. I didn't have to use too many fish and mash. Yeah, that's a new method. It was called a personal trainer. So I just go to PT. I go yeah. to the gym and I beast myself. I just beast my. I eat healthily, but I beast myself. I would just be in the gym five days a week, no problem at all. Great, you know, and way to come off and feel good and all these things. And then it wasn't until 2017 that I then I had a corporate job, and it was incredibly stressful, incredibly rewarding, but stressful and. I was in a position where I was working with two senior executives who didn't have a clue um, and put me under immense pressure on a project that wasn't mine. And it sort of caused me to have a sort of meltdown and a breakdown where my overeating kicked into overseas. Because guess what? Food is my friend. Mm -hmm. I sort of controlled it a little bit, but I'd never dealt with it. And I realized then that actually my food's by that control. Um, to the point then where we'd won an award and uh, I had this photograph taken and there's a photograph of me on an airplane where I got really bad breast sense and I photo this award. And I thought I had seen, I thought I'd killed that guy off. I thought I'd killed fat Chris off. 
I thought he'd gone. But then when I saw this picture, and I didn't have very many pictures, the guy, same guy was about that same guy with the shallow eyes, with that fake expression, with that almost suit of armor he created, was looking back at me and I thought, and it tipped me over edge. I did full on meltdown, um, went to go and get help, um, survived four days in therapy before I escaped like Jack Nicholson at one flower's a cuckoo's nest um, and realised that I need to get some help but I didn't know what the help was um, and that's when I entered Overeaters Anonymous Yeah, I, I, I've heard the story about Overeaters Anonymous, I never actually knew that was a thing and that was when you, that was when you found the, the root problem of what was actually going on because there's, it's all well and good telling you to eat a wee bit less and move a wee bit more but when you have this stressful yeah. job like you say that everything else it's, yeah. it's not just as easy as it yeah it's not easy and it, you know even now when I'm working with emotionally it's like yeah, you know everyone knows how to lose weight god there's enough information out there for it yeah but the question isn't that it's how do you actually you know deal with the causes that's causing you to emotionally eat you know because that's where all the hard work, that's where all the damage is done. That's where all the hard work is done. So for me, entering that program, you know, saved my life. Um, you know, absolutely saved my life. It wasn't, it didn't give me all the answers, but it gave me the starting point. But again, even on that road to recovery, I was doing really well. I got to the fourth step and I started challenging myself. But then I found myself, you know, and I say this quite a lot of times, you know, I'm in recovery, I'm doing well, I'm losing weight, I'm getting somewhere. But actually, I then find myself on top of a building going, I don't know if I can do this. I'm going to fail. I'm, and, and I can't fail because actually I've looked into the eyes of that guy again. And mm-hmm. I know that, you know, it'd be easier for my wife because, you know, I have an accident. She gets a nice payout. I'm not going to let her down. I spent my I spent our entire married life letting her down. I spent my entire life lying to her, cheating to her. Not... You know, people go, oh, yeah, but food. I used to lie about food. Yeah. You know, it created so much stress in our relationship. Because guess what? If you can lie over something as simple as food, what else can you lie about? Mm-hmm. You know, you create this environment, you create this persona. You and it's still, it's still a lot of things. We're always a work in progress, and it's still a lot of work. You're still always battling this in recovery that, you know, you, you may deal with emotional eating, you may deal with the overeating, you may stop doing that, but you've still got to deal with all of the character traits and the personality traits that come with that. And if you're not careful and in control of them, they'll find an outlet somewhere else. Which yeah. is why you know, people move to drinking, move to gambling, move to being unfaithful. You know, all of those things they do to, because actually, if you don't address the traits, then it will surface somewhere else. You know, that's why you quite often find a lot of alcoholics become binge eaters because all they do replace alcohol with food. Yeah, there's still that trigger there, but they're just, yeah. like I said, find the different yeah. outlet for the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you think with food's a really difficult one to deal with because everyone has to eat. Mm-hmm. If I'm an alcoholic, they can give me a drug to take that'll make me puke if I drink. Yeah. A drug addict, I can take a replacement that'll get me off the drug. Or I can make it really hard not to have it. If I'm a gambler, I can have all my accounts blocked. I can be banned from places. There is a process, but, and I can avoid it. But guess what? If you're food, you have to eat. You I cannot think not eat. With food as well, there's, there's two things on this. So one, people, I, I think there's a, a lack of sympathy in terms of like actual food addiction. 
like some people genuinely would be like, oh, they just need to stop eating. They're just being greedy. You know, and that's, yeah. I'm not saying that, but I have heard things like that said. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like I know you and Darren talked about this on his podcast in society a wee bit as well, in terms of like, like you were saying when you were younger, that the woman, when it was reward, it was food. When it was sad, it was food. Mm-hmm. Like if I did yeah. something, if I did something great, my family would be like, oh, let's go for a meal. You know, yeah. like everything's sort of based around food, whether that be good or bad. So mm-hmm. it is, it's, it's a hard thing to overcome. Oh, celebrations, Christmas. Yeah. Birthdays, weddings. Easter. It's called a wedding breakfast. What oh, sorry, my, my my Siri went off there when I, I said I said that word and it sounded like Siri in my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Um you think a wedding breakfast? Hmm. Yeah, it's called a breakfast wedding breakfast. Because it's their yeah. first meal together. As <laughs> a couple. So it's all that assumption of it. And I think, yeah, it's just crazy that um yeah, and don't get me wrong, you know, I work with a lot of people who are addicted to food. Some people aren't, it's a great excuse, but some mm-hmm. people are, you know. And one of the reasons, you know, in OA, they talk about abstinence, and, and you really do have to be quite strict and abstain, but that's one reason I fell out of them. I went to a food plan because I do want to eat pizza, I do want to eat burgers, I do want to eat donuts. Yeah. I just don't want them to control me. Mm-hmm. You know? And that, that's all so important, like, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it's one of the things I work with my team, with my clients. Is that, that yeah, it's like they will work on some abstinence to get it out, but actually, you need to reintroduce it. You need to, it, you need to break from that fear of food. You know, break from that good. You know, people don't like good and bad foods. No, there's there's just nutritious foods and not so nutritious foods. There's no such yeah. thing as a good, a good and a bad food. It's like when people go cheat meals, I want to just slap them. You know, I hear that. Let's let's, let's give let's give it a title. Show oh cheat meal. Oh, no, you, all you need is have a a, cal- a meal that's probably more in calories and not as nutritious as you should normally choose. But guess what? It'll be nice and you'll enjoy it and enjoy it what it is. Yeah. You know, not a cheat meal. You know, it's like, because people don't even think, oh, cheat. Would you, so like, I have a cheat meal. It says, does that mean you're going to have a, um, a cheat girlfriend then? You're going to have a cheat, you know, you put this, you know, you're going to cheat at um, the game you're playing with your friends. No, you're not yeah. because why would you? But you'll have a cheat meal. So, so yeah, yeah, so I think um, in terms of that, yeah, it, you know, even in recovery, you get to dark places. I think it's until you start addressing that and you start dealing with it, and until people see it and people realise it. You know, again, lying, cheating. My wife didn't even know I was in recovery. She didn't even know I was going to aid meetings. I was hiding it because again, there's the shame, there's that whole thing. Yeah. You know, she just thought I was aware of meeting somewhere. You know, I was a business meeting because the day after an OA meeting, I had to almost be on my own because they would literally my session would just rip me apart and it's sort of like they go like trauma hang it's like um what's it what, trauma cancer yeah hangover from it mm-hmm. you know because you go through so much and it's like you know it drains you it takes it out of you and, and this is the same for me that i had to do all of this to go through it's like and you're doing it on your own you know yeah you have a sponsor you got people in the group but it's really quite tough i think people don't realize you know um how do you as you said before there's no understanding you'll just go sort yourself out don't be so greedy don't do this yeah. but and i say this all the time so if i turn around to friends i'm an alcoholic you'd never buy me a drink but you'll quite happily take the piss out of me and say i'll eat this or don't be i'll just finish that what you, what's wrong with you yeah but nobody you if, you know and i said to people it says no i don't know well it's only a piece of cake what do you want you can't resist it listen i can't no because i'll eat all of them Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just a whole situation of people understanding they don't understand 
one hundred percent. Yeah, so because... I think the biggest thing is just that it wasn't it wasn't just a case of overeating food. You know, it was it was a relationship around food, and I think you've given a lot of a lot of value around that. But I want to know a bit more. See what life at your biggest what was it 35 stone? Thirty four stone. Yeah. What was so, that sort of two hundred kilo, wasn't it? Two hundred and ten. What What was it like to to be to be like that to walk around like that to to drive? I don't I don't even would like. Uh, uh, well, I, I didn't drive. I got driven, driven everywhere because I don't drive. Um, oh, so, a couple, couple of funny stories. Um, so we went to hire a, uh, we in Germany one time uh, on a business trip and we went to go and hire a car and they gave us a one-class BMW or mm-hmm. one-series BMW. No, uh, I, couldn't, yeah, I couldn't get in it. I couldn't literally even get in the seat. Couldn't get, couldn't get in the car. It was embarrassing. So we had to go and hire a bigger car. I mean, you know, telling the people on the counter, you know, even in German, they're like, just, ah, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's that. Um, wiping your ass. You can't wipe your ass. You have to put your hand, foot up to get your hand around to wipe your bum. I never thought of that, actually. That, that, that's actually, I, I never thought of that. That's insane. Yeah, can't tie shoes. You have to put your feet up to tie shoes. You have to put your feet up to put the socks on. You can't bend down. You sort of, when you put your underpants on, you sort of hook them around the leg and pull them up because you can't actually bend down to do it. And it's still a trait now. You've, you've spoke to, honestly, you speak to Carmen because she's laughing now. She's just coming up the stairs laughing at me now. <laughs> um, you know, bending down because I literally, I still do it now because it's a force of habit. I don't bend down to put my underpants on. I hook it around my foot because it's a built in habit of mine. Yeah. Because you couldn't bend down to do it. Uh, no, I couldn't bend down. So. I still do it now. Even after all these years, I still just go, bend your knees, Christopher, just bend your knees. I'm like, yeah, 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 I do it in a Because it's a force of habit. Or, yeah, you'd sit down, you'd, again, you'd put your feet on a, on a you'd never put your shoes on. You have to, it's just horrible. It was just like, you know, um, and obviously there's the personal side of it. You know, you, you'd stink, you know. Yeah, yeah. No matter how good my personal hygiene is, you know, I would stink, you know, as my wife would say, ah, yeah, it'd be a smile. Yeah, because it's really because you've got that fat around you. you you're moving, you're sweating, you're hot. It's just yeah, it'd be impossible to stay on top of it. Again, that was a challenge. Yeah, I can't imagine that's very comfortable. And what about I actually I know there's a story about this, but flying. Ah yes, so flying. Um, see, I know you know, um, but most airlines once they know you're big, make you buy two seats. I never actually knew that. So they would make you buy the second seat. I thought you just did that as a like. So that, that I did, but they also asked. make it once you once you get on their list. Once you get on a list, you'll find they make you book a second seat. Jeez. British Airways are really good at it. So I first found out that Southwest Airlines in the US introduced me to the concept, and then once because with CRM now they're really clever and they'll go, you need to book a second seat. Mm-hmm. You need to book a second seat, and you almost do it. You know. Um, Ryanair couldn't, EasyJet couldn't, but I always used to book a second seat for comfort. Yeah. yeah because I'd hate to be have somebody sat next to me. But the one time I was on a flight to BA, it was BA in South Africa, flying from Johannesburg down to Cape Town. It had a fixed seat. And I literally couldn't get in it. I was in so much pain. I said, I can't stay in the seat. And I can't do it for like a two-hour flight down to Joe, into Cape Town. It'll kill me. Uh, and they're literally going to deboard me, uh, deplane me until the captain went... I haven't got time to deplane in. The seats in business, just put in business class. Yeah, will you sit in the seat, fit in the seat in business class? Yeah, just about. Great. 
sat in that, you know, but again, it was just horrific. So eventually I bought my own seat extender. So I never had to worry about the embarrassment of asking one. Um, because on one flight they'd run out because it must have been the Fatties convention. Um, and, but on some of the seats, some are a bit longer than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, a, there's a little tip for anybody. Some seats are longer than others. Um, and they, they found one and they said, oh, swap to this seat. And it just, just fit. As soon as the seatbelt sign went off, my belt was off. And literally, I put it on the very last minute to land because it was just like cutting me in half. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, flying was, flying was awful, train, anything, anything where you were close to people was awful because when you got on a plane, there's two people when you start playing, you hate to see the big person or the person with the kids. You sit there babies. Going, next to me. Yeah, babies. Please don't sit next to me. Or even toddlers. Toddlers where's the babies because toddlers like bank seats. Please don't sit next to me. Please don't sit. Next to me. Oh god, he's coming. Oh, oh no, he's there. Oh hi, how you doing? Yeah, yeah. I mean that's oh, god, he's there as well. Oh god, he's not even on the end seat. It's like <sighs> so yeah. Hello, you mean no, that's uh, thank you so much for disclosing that because I think that's even the stuff about wiping ass and stuff, you don't think about that. You think about, oh, I, w- I wouldn't like to look like that walking down the street, but you don't think, I wouldn't like to fly like that. I wouldn't like to, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Just the whole, in fact, if you get stared at, you know, again, we've been talking about suit of armor, but you constantly get stared at, constantly getting abuse, you constantly getting greedy, you know, it's just like, and everyone's judging you, you know? Everyone's judging you, it's like, yeah, but to a certain point, you get to say, you don't really care, you go, so what, you know? And that's when you start the self depreciated joke. Wait, shush. You're ruining the podcast. You can edit that bit out. Bit of dog marking. But yeah, so I think, uh, yeah, it's just tough. It's just hard. People are, again, I don't want any, um, what's the word? Uh, do I want any sorry? No, yeah, I, I got myself in that situation. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, one thing I say to people is you got to face up to the fact only one person put that food in the mouth. Nobody force fed me. Yeah. I decided that food was going to be my savior. I decided that food was going to be. So I knew what I was doing to myself. Yeah, mm-hmm. I had the guilt and the shame afterwards. But first thing people have to do is have to take responsibility for the fact that they're eating, they're doing it. Yeah, and it's empowering, you know, like that, because that means you can do the opposite then, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So what for you then, you've obviously, you went to the doctors a couple of times, like we said, probably fluctuated a nine and 10 stone mark. What was the, what was the big catalyst then for the, for the 100 kilo loss? What, what happened? Uh, just that being, that, seeing that photograph of me and then realizing that I'm creeping back to that size and I'm going to end up, having to, I'm going to die. Yeah, so for yeah, you, it was just that impending ticking time yeah, bomb essentially. Yeah. It was. It, it's, I thought I'd dealt with it. I thought I'd beaten it, you know, and I'd lost loads of weight. I put weight back on, but I'd lost it. But I was, you know, I was comfortable. But then all of a sudden, I was, I was back up to like 28 stone again. I'm thinking, yeah. it's not far before you hit 30. And then, <laughs> am I going to do this again? Because actually, I might not be this lucky this time. Yeah. I was lucky last time. I could have a heart attack. I was in a stressful job. I was like, I could just die. And I was also incredibly unhappy again. And I thought I wasn't. I thought I was going to be happy. But all of a sudden, food stopped being the happy place for me. Yeah. You know? And, and I just realized I had to make a change. And uh, 
there was no way I was going to diet and train myself out of this because I knew I had the problem. I'm facing the fact I had a problem. You know, mm. put my hands up when I've got an eating disorder. I've, if I don't deal with it, then I'm going to die. And what yeah. about the fact when you were at that weight then? Was it ever, because I feel like a lot of people who come to me who would be more overweight than just the average person, for example, they always hold it off because of, they say they get overwhelmed with the amount they have to lose. They know that when they start, they're going to have to commit to, let's say, upwards of a year before they're yeah. happy with how they look. Did that ever, did that thought ever cross your mind that I'm going to have to commit to this for a long period of time? No, because I committed to the fact that it was the rest of my life. Yes. So, so it was a because I was not, the first thing I did, and I say to people, I have a beef, right, in the industry mm -hmm. with people selling 90 days to drop a certain weight program. Yes. Right? Because it creates the wrong mentality. I have a problem as well with people saying, uh, yeah, um, end of binge eating and you'll lose this amount of weight in a period of time. Because actually, I don't care. Yeah. Right? What's important is to deal with the emotional eating. Right? As soon as you tag a weight loss onto the back of it, people stop thinking about the emotional eating and start thinking about the weight loss. Mm -hmm. Well, that creates a whole set of bad behaviors. Right? And what you need to do is deal with the end of the, the emotional eating. Because what I need when I work with people, the first month, I want people to have slip-ups. Where, where are they going to learn from? Yes. If they don't do these events, because we need to learn, we need the events to learn from to be able to change and make the changes. Because if not, you know, you see when you're applying stuff, they're all they're full of motivation, they're full of excitement, they do really well. Mm. You know, it's great. You know, oh, it's like, oh, you know, it's so marvelous. I have an emotion. I'm binge it for two weeks. Well, yeah, because you're on a program, on your case, and you're, in, you know, you're enjoying the change. You know, but guess what? Shit's gonna get real. Someone's gonna knock you sideways. And you haven't changed anything. So, so we need to change all of that. And I think people get obsessed with the whole weight thing. For me, it was, I'm going to lose weight over a period of time. I'm going to do it sensibly. You know, one thing I'm really lucky is because I did it sensibly and slowly, I've got no saggy skin. I don't need to have surgery. I've got some amazing stretch marks, but I don't need to have skin surgery. Whereas you see people who do these stupid plans or go for gastric band or do all that stuff, which right, if that's your choice and you want to do it, good luck to you, right? Yeah. You know, and I'm not dissing anybody who does it. If that's their feel their only way out, that's great. But it comes at a consequence. Mm -hmm. You know, it comes at a consequence. For me, I'm very lucky. I lost weight gradually. I don't have psyche. The only thing I've got is a little bit of a flap that when I, I will never ever have a six pack. Yeah. No matter how skinny I get, because at the bottom of my stomach, there's a little bit of skin and that there. But I don't care about it because it doesn't affect me. It's fine. Better than the latter. <laughs> But a lot, and I don't. I've got bingo wings. I've got any of that. I'm just, yeah, you know, I'm really fortunate in what I've done. Um, and that's because it was done gradually and sensibly and managed, and you know. And I think for people looking for this journey, it's like one of the things we say in OA and any of the anonymous programs is you take each day at a time. So every morning, even now, I wake up in part of my morning routine. I have my mantras, I have my affirmations. I say. By the grace of God, grant me to the end of the day without binge eating. Do not let me binge today. I get through day one. Then I get through day two. Then I get through day three. And the same with alcoholics. If you said an alcoholic, you're never ever going to drink a day, drink again. They look at you and go, no, nah, I can't. There's too much. It's a bit like weight loss. People go, yeah, you've got 10 stones. I'm never going to lose 10 stones. Listen, lose a pound. Mm -hmm. 
then lose two pounds, <laughs> then lose three pounds, then you'll get to a stone, then you'll get, you know, but by saying just lose me a pound first, it's manageable. You're not putting this fear because then people, they don't get overwhelmed of, oh, this is too much. Yes. Same with binge eating, same with emotional eating. Let's get through the day. And you know what? If I do, if something does happen wrong, I'm going to forgive myself because if I forgive myself, then I'm not giving the power to the cycle of emotional eating. Yeah, something went wrong. I over it. You know what? Life's crap. But most people will go, yeah, I've, I've over it. And I'm going to keep eating because I've ruined it. I'm going to eat more. I'm going to eat tomorrow. I'm going to eat the day after because I've oh, fucked it. Now. Yeah. Still yeah. no. Yeah. yeah. And then people go wrong and start on Monday. And then they start what they call that last supper syndrome. Yeah. Where they start eating. And it's like, because it's the last time I'm going to do this. Oh, I'm not doing. I'm not eating sugar on Monday, so I'm going to spend my entire weekend eating crap. And then on Monday, they stop it, and they go into the sugar thing. And they, yeah. you know, and then they start craving it. It's like, well, you're crazy, because you spend all weekend pumping yourself full of the stuff, and then guess what? You stop doing it. And your body's yeah. like going, whoa, where's it gone? That's what I was just about to say. It's not even just the mentality. It's actually physically your body's going to crave that yeah. now, because you've just yeah. loaded it. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I said to you about abstinence is you've got to be really careful. You need to wean yourself off these things. Yes. You know, yes. not see them as good and bad. And I think, yeah, but people, if they've got a big weight to learn, but you know, let's not focus on that. The focus is going to take time, but let's just get to what, you know, let's address the root cause of why I'm emotionally eating. Because if you mm-hmm. get your calories and, you know, if you, if they come to it, if they go to the right person to lose weight, then they will lose weight. But there's enough out, there's enough information out there for to know what to do. But the problem these people that I work with have is they know all of that, but they've got an emotional attachment that's stopping them from doing these things. Yeah. 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 That's their problem. And it won't help them at all. And that's, I've said, I've said a lot of times before, you can have the best, best training plan, the best diet plan in the world. But if you're not set up for that in terms of your environment, in terms of if you're actually ready for change, I know you're very much on, are you ready for change? It's not going to yeah. take fuck all for you, is it? Yeah. Oh, the amount of people I've declined to work with because I've gone, I won't take your money because do you know what? In a couple of weeks, you'll be wanting your money back. <laughs> um, and I really don't, you know, I, I really want to work with people who are ready. And they go, I'm ready, I'm ready. I says, you're not ready. I can tell you're not ready because you're not answering my questions the way I need to answer them to know that you're ready. Yeah. Because what will happen in a couple of weeks, something will happen and you'll, or they'll go ghost. What's even worse is they'll go, oh, it's getting too much money and they just disappear. It's like, well, yeah. Don't yeah. don't start. If you're not prepared to see it through, don't start. It's easy to do. Yeah, definitely. I've one last question for you, Chris, and I'm gonna wrap this up. So Okay. A lot of a problem I see when people come to me with weight loss, the problem I have myself as well is you definitely had it. You were in pain when you were over the two hundred mm-hmm. kilo. That was painful. You didn't like yeah. looking like that. You get to a certain stage then where you get comfortable but you still have work to do. You still want more, but you're not in pain anymore. How did you get over that slump if you did encounter that? Well, here's an interesting one. I'm going to counter back to you that even at 210 kilos, I wasn't actually in pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, yeah, I, I played golf because of, because I was fortunate in what I earned, I could fly around the world business class. So you know, what about fitting in the seat? Yes. Um, I had, you know, when I went to the airport, I had a limo come and put, you know, Mercedes Premier sat in the back seat. You know, there was never any, yeah, clothes started to get a bit stressful because I had to go to Giacomo's largest size, but I still managed to get clothes. So 
I still played golf. I still did all these things. So, and if you think about it, the doctor told me I had to lose weight. Yeah, it triggered me and I lost weight. But I think the problem people find is when you, even when you get to stage and, and you're right, I, I got to that period, I got down to, I'd always get down to like 18, 19 stone and, and I'd look quite good. And that push to get to the last stone would go, but why? I don't, yes. it's like, I, I'm happy now. I'm alive, I'm happy. And I think for me, it's um, it's putting things in your life that are going to make challenge you. Like even now, I'm really comfortable with the way challenge now, but I'm going to go and try and, well, so I'm not going to try. I'm going to lose another, probably two stone to get down to like 15 stone for a triathlon. Primarily, because I want to, uh, it'll help me on the swim, on the cycle ride, on the run. Mm -hmm. I can promise you, as soon as the Ironman's over, I will be putting that weight back on. Yeah. It's a performance. Because, because I'm literally doing it because it's going to enhance the fact that I'm going to, you know, because I'm pretty sure that I'll look bloody awful. But yeah. I have the power, I have the, the drive and the why to want to do it, which is a big, big difference. Yeah. I think this is what people need to find is like, yeah, when you're on this journey, you've got to remember why you started it. Mm -hmm. And you know what? If you are comfortable, look, I work with women, if they, you know, I work with some women who's like, oh, I've got to be at this certain weight. It's like, well, why? Well, because like, I've got to. Well, why does that number one scale define you? It's ensure there's got to be how you feel. Yeah. Yeah. Size six, size eight, size twelve. Well, you know, it's how you. If, yeah, if you're physically healthy, yeah, obviously people are obese. You know, but if you're physically healthy, and you're moving, and you're eating healthily, and you're whatever waist jeans you are, size you are, then you know, you, it's about not putting too much pressure. It's about fixing it and making you want to be a better, healthy version of yourself. And I like what you said as well. Your goal now, although you do want to drop a bit more weight, the goal yeah. is the triathlon. It's not, are they, yeah. sorry, the Ironman, is it? Ironman, yeah. That's that's going to be some goal. And by the way, good luck with that. <laughs> so I, I, I my training, luckily I was in Windermere now and um, I'm doing, well, it's not a full line, it's only a half Ironman. Only a half Ironman, he says. It's still a half <laughs> marathon. It's still a, the, what is it, 1.9 mile swim and it's a 150 kilometer bike ride. Um, you say, oh, it seems easy. Um, but yeah, it's, I'm lucky because my training grounds where I live. So I, I swim in the lake every day. You know? oh, okay. So I've got all this available to me, but you're right. It's going to be hard work and it's a yeah. goal and it's, and it's, and it's going to be challenging. And I'm doing this to be able to improve my performance. Mm. And having that, I'd say having that focus on something else is probably nice because it's yeah. um, weight loss yeah. and, and that's what and it's a bit like what you say. I'm sure you do with your clients. You know, I always try and give you know weight loss is great, but I try and give people a goal to work towards instead. Yes, well, uh, yeah, we said it in three different areas. Yeah, it, 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 it's more. It's better to have a better, more passionate why because when I work with clients, I never they never have a weight loss goal. I say, if you want to come, if you want to come to me for weight loss, I'll point you direction. Lots more better coaches, far more equipped. I said. But, you know, let's look at other things in life you need to get hold of. Because if we can get hold of them, then actually it'll end your most needed. And you will lose weight naturally. Now, mm -hmm. if it gets to a certain extent, you then need to do something else, then, you know, we can work with you to do that. But I want to, you know, again, for me, it's getting people to deal with their most needed so that 
you know, I want them to end it for good so they can live a life they want to lead. And then over time, they may need to work with personal training. They may need to work with nutritionists. You know, all of these things that's going to really benefit them. Yeah. So you just covered what I was literally just about to ask you. What, so if someone was listening to this and wanted to work with you, what exactly could you help that person with? Uh, I, can end, I can end their most needs in 90 days. But then they've got to work. Then the hard work starts on the 91st day. Because recovery is a lifetime thing. Yeah. Right? Recovery is about, it is the rest of your life. Once you mm-hmm. accept it, once you commit and you work in the program, it is, you know, because if you don't commit to this for life, then you get, you're going to go back down that same path. You're going to go straight back down that path of pain, you know, and that food's going to be the answer to you. So, so yeah, they can generally, I do with most eating, all the sort of that side of it. Yes, you know, you're going to lose weight, right? Absolutely. But I'm not going to make any commitments over how much you're losing a period of time mm-hmm. because, if you're joining me for that, you're joining me for the wrong reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want people, I don't, see for me, I've been miserable, I've been unhappy. I don't want, you know, my children are all obese because of me. They're all adults, by the way. They're all obese. You know, and that's my fault. Because they saw what happened to me. I didn't teach them the right things. And I was a terrible role model. And they saw all of the pain and things we went through in the relationship, you know, with their, their mother, all of that. So again, it's something I have to carry around me. I'm, I'm guilty of it, but I accept it. I'm happy with it. It's not happy with it. I'm happy to accept it. I'm happy with the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I don't, the reason I do this, I could make a damn sight more money as a management consultant than being an emotional eating coach, which because my wife, she'd tell me I should do that anyway. But I'm passionate. I do not want people to suffer like I used to. I've been there, right? And I've been at, you know, the Asda at three o'clock in the morning, getting the 12 pack of Krispy Kreme. I have been, you know, being pulled up on my expenses for holding a bucket of KFC. You know, I've had the people look at me and going, oh, they're here again. You know, I've had the jokes from the room service people in the hotel rooms when they delivered their second meal to me in the night time. All of that. And I don't want people to suffer like that. I want people to find the freedom. You do not need to go through the pain of emotional eating. You can beat it. It's beatable. And you can and you can have a life you want to lead without having restriction, without having, you know, being on chicken and broccoli for the rest of your life or not enjoying the food. Because you can do it. You just need to deal with the challenges that you know. Limited beliefs got you to the situation. You can create new habits and beliefs that will get you out of the situation. But you need to work with somebody who's actually been on the journey you've been on. And knows it because nobody can say to me that I am probably done. Mm-hmm. You can tell me any story about your anybody's eating, and I can probably it's not you know it's not a dick measuring competition, but I can pretty much challenge most people when they say oh, I've done that. Yeah, did you? Well, what about this then? Have you done that? Oh no. Yeah. Have you, have you, have you gone in the bin the following day because somebody threw the pizza out? There's still half the pizza and then got the pizza out of the bin. Amazing, Where can they find you if they want to know more about that? Uh, yep, so if they go onto Facebook, um, that uh, it's uh, at ttransform365, and on Instagram, we've got uh, uh, Emotional Eating Coach UK, and uh, we've got a transform three, uh, at ttransform365 page as well. Amazing, man. Have you on any website, closing messages? On my website, my website is www.transform365.co.uk. Any closing messages? Um, like I say to most people, if not now, when? 
So if you're ready, do something about it. If you're not ready, then you know, seriously consider when is the right time. Because everyone put it off. Oh, this party's happening. This is happening. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. You know, there is never a good time to start. So just do it. I'm going to make a quest of it. Thank you so much for that, man. You're welcome, mate.